it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. This morning, Putin announced a special military operation in the Donbass. Russia has carried out strikes on our military infrastructure and our border guards. Explosions were heard in many cities of Ukraine. We imposed martial law throughout Ukraine. Let's find out what's happening uh, across the world. It woke up to just some crazy news this morning. Let's go to Moscow, shall we, with Amy Kellogg, Fox News, a senior foreign affairs correspondent. And just very quickly, I'm Mary Walter, sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. I forgot to tell you that uh, Brian is out today. Amy, thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. And morning here, I guess it's a, a more e- it's evening there, correct? Uh, it's afternoon. It's afternoon. Um, about 5 o'clock, Mary. All right. So what is the feel? I want to find out what do the Russians say about this? Like the average Russian, when they find out that their country has now invaded Ukraine, what is the feeling there? Well, it's hard to generalize, but there are a lot of people who are completely shocked, completely shocked, completely ashamed and absolutely feeling sick about this. This is not something that they had hoped for. This is not something... If you're an average Russian, does going to war with Ukraine really make your day? It's just, you know, there's so many things people struggle with now coming out of this pandemic. And the economy here has been has been struggling, but it's not bad. This is a this is a rich country in terms of natural resources. So, though, you can pick apart how it's been managed. It's not a country that um, is on its knees by any stretch of the imagination. This war, a lot of people worry, and you know, my my sampling of people I've spoken to is is uh, obviously not scientific, but a lot of concern that this is going to take them back decades, going to take them back to the USSR. They don't know whether they're going to be able to use their credit cards, whether they're going to be able to travel, and then of course, it's absolutely heartbreaking to to see your Slavic sisters and brothers under bombardment by your own government. Now that's that's the group of people I've spoken to who um, who are really upset about this, but there are people who think that it's about time Putin stuck it to the West. And a lot of this, Mary, is about sticking it to the West and settling accounts in Putin's mind. Because his, his opening salvo, really, when he announced that this, he doesn't call it a war, he calls it a, a military operation, it was really that We've tried and they've blackmailed us and treated us so badly. We've tried to find our place in the world. They've disrespected us. And now we're going to throw things, turn things on their head and set up a new world order. And that is very, um, that's a very strong message. And there are some people who think, yeah, it's about time we gave, gave back to the West. You know, we hit them back. So two different camps. Um, but it, but I don't think anyone is, 
is probably feeling terrific today. No, I, I can't imagine they are. There, and, and there were a lot of things that you said there. Uh, one of the questions I have is how close are the people of Russia to the people of Ukraine? I would assume that there are a lot of people who have relatives in, in the Ukraine. So for them, they, they, this is, they're bombing their families. How close are they? Absolutely. This is splitting families. Um, yeah, it's really complicated with history because when the Soviet Union existed, if you were Ukrainian by nationality, that was written in your passport. Um, and if you were Russian by nationality, it was written in your passport. But then people intermarried and um, there were Ukrainian nationals living in Russia and Russian nationals living in Ukraine. So it's all kind of blended. And it's not if you were Ukrainian and you married a Russian, it's not like if you are, let's say, Palestinian and you're marrying an Israeli. You know, it wasn't a something that could easily provoke grandparents or parents. It, it, it was something that was very natural. And people, it, probably in the Soviet days, didn't even bat an eye over it. Maybe subsequently, when they were two different countries, it could be, you know, perhaps a little... If there's a divergence a bit in cultures and languages. Ukrainian is spoken in Ukraine and Russian is spoken here, though they're close languages. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, there's no real an- historical animosity between these two peoples. That's the thing. It's, they're not enemy nations. And Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, said that last night. We're two different peoples. We're not enemies. Now, given that, uh, how, why would Putin do this, given the fact that the, the two nations are so close, the peoples are so close? Um, I can't imagine that he now wants to, you know, bring the Ukraine as a whole, maybe all of it, I don't know how much, back into Russia. And he's going to have people who are Russian citizens and people that are Ukrainian citizens who hate what happened, hate him, and are going to be working against him behind his back. Why would he even want that now? I mean, he's he's, what, 75 years old? I don't, I don't understand why he would no, want that. He's a, a few years younger, but yeah, he's not a spring chicken. And um, I think, well, I think the bottom line is, Mary, that the arguments don't all make sense, do they? I and mean, nothing yeah. really makes sense right now. And I've been here for a little while, and I've been trying to interview people with a Russian perspective who I think are somewhat informed about the government. I, I felt that was useful. I didn't want to give too much airtime to people who were screaming a party line, but I didn't want to simply talk to people who were anti-Putin because I felt like those who were sort of in the middle and and who studied Putin or knew the power circles might give the best information for our right. reporting. Yeah. And they all said to me, there's no way he would invade Ukraine. He's keeping the tanks close by to turn up the heat to get what he wants out of NATO. But it would be absolutely counter to all of his uh, his national security needs and and uh, his popularity to to wage war against friendly people and have body bags start coming back to to Russia. So they and, and today I said, well, were these people lying to me? And someone said, you know what? No, they were trying to rationalize themselves, and there was nothing to rationalize here. This was not a rational situation. So that explains the disconnect. And I think you can carry that on to, no, we're not going to occupy Ukraine. Well, they're there. Um, This is only about the Donbass. Well, no, they're in Kiev. They're going to get rid of Nazis. Well, I don't know where the the Nazis and the genocide. 
you know, you just can go on and on with the arguments that don't really make sense. No, and there there were comments about his speech, not last night, the one, I guess it was Tuesday, that uh, where he went on about the history of the Ukraine, of Russia and the Ukraine, and people were calling it, um, it seemed like he was a little um, off, if you will, and they noted that he was wearing, when he gave his speech last night, he was wearing the same tie, shirt, and jacket that he had on when he talked about the history of Ukraine and justifying why it should be part of Russia. So the the theory being that he already knew he was going to do this, and both of those speeches were recorded on the same night. Are there questions about his mental stability? Because that's what I've seen. I've seen questions about it. Is that what's happening on the streets of Russia? All over the place. All over the place. But, you know, there were questions about President Trump. You know, I mean, I, the, the thing is that I, I, I know that it's, it, it's a question that you want to ask because it's also illogical. People are asking it, but I don't know what to do with it, right? Because as long as he's in power and surrounded by yes men, um, yeah, yeah, okay. people people are asking those questions. It doesn't make sense, and I, I didn't mean to lump him with Trump, but I'm just saying you remember well that. It, when someone starts acting in a way that that intimidates or displeases a group of people, they will go there, right? They will start questioning, right. and um, and so that's happening here. It's a different story, but all the same. I don't know what that does for us because it's not like someone's going to trot him off to a psychologist to get him checked for fitness for for the job, right? Right, of course. Uh, you had mentioned uh, USSR. It, that is one of the theories is that he's trying to build what you know he grew up under. You know, he grew up under the USSR, and that he's trying to bring these states back in the the ones that broke off when when we broke it up, and and he's trying to bring all of that back. Could that be the rationale behind this? He's getting older. He's not going to have a lot of chance to do this, so he's striking now. Oh, sorry, Mary. I'm getting I'm getting someone's telegram channel in my ear. Oh, hackers. Um, no, I think I just leaned on um, a telegram channel on my phone. Oh. Um, but oh, yeah, but the, I'm kind of getting ear pieces if that doesn't happen again. I I think that the USSR dream is something that a lot of people talked about. Remember, they were saying, well, the great he thinks the greatest political tragedy or geopolitical tragedy was the um, fall of the USSR. And um, and then that was dismissed. People said, oh, no, that's ridiculous. Putin is, you know, Putin is a modern enough guy. He understands that that's the past is the past. But now it's looking like, in fact, you're right. You know, that that, that may be it. I don't, and I, I don't necessarily see him clawing back places like Tajikistan, which are culturally very different. Um, but Ukraine certainly... Uh, it is is a brother nation, and they were part of the same empire for a long time. So, yeah, time running out, legacy, but it still just doesn't make logical sense. Also in the argument for for better security and better protection from NATO, because if you occupy Ukraine, you're still going to be bordering NATO, right? It's not going to remove – there's not going to be a no – I don't think it's going to be a no man's land. And – yeah, it remains to be seen, Mary, how, how Ukraine fights back. It's um, certainly an unbalanced fight, but but they're fierce. Um, and at this point, they're very nationalistic. And 
it, it, it's one way or another, it's not going to be easy. No, it's not. Amy Kellogg, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You can find her on Twitter at Amy Kellogg Fox. So thank you so much. I really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you, Mary. 866-408-7669 if you want to jump in here. Uh, coming up in about... 15 minutes or so. Jay Newman will be joining us. He is a a banker. He's a hedge fund portfolio manager. We're going to talk about dark money and global politics. He has a new book out about that. And he has a lot to say about why sanctions probably aren't going to work with Putin. And maybe we're just, you know, putting these sanctions on and hurting ourselves more than we're actually going to hurt Putin. So Jay Newman will be coming up. But I also want to get your input. 866-408-7669. I am Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Fox News Rundown. A contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There have been at least uh, 20 explosions here in the capital in Kiev. We suspect that it's mainly been military targets, military intelligence, command and control centers. The Russians have said they are using precision-guided weapons. We have not heard any reports of mass casualties here in the capital. But certainly the explosions are enough to scare the heck out of people. People are throwing what they can in their car and getting out. And the government, even just a couple of days ago, was saying there will be no wider war. That changed dramatically about an hour before dawn today. That's when the first explosions hit in a series here of four or five. That was Steve Harrigan in Kiev, in Ukraine, and I, I'm with him. I was surprised. I was under the impression that they weren't going to hit Kiev. They were just going to go for the eastern part of Ukraine, that they were going to bring those two states back, uh, and back into Russia. There was a lot of Russians living in those areas who feel that they should be Russian, that they should be back with Main, you know, with Russia. And uh, that's where I thought it was going to be. So when I woke up and heard that they were bombing Kiev, that you were seeing those the bombs hitting there and you're looking at the fires and everything, I thought, holy Christmas, I did not know. I wasn't expecting that. I was saying, oh, it's 500 miles from Russia. It's, you know, it's, it's inside the country. That's not going to happen. Well, apparently that is happening. Let's get your take on this. Uh, Fernando in Covina, California. Fernando, you're on Brian, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, how's it going? I'm doing good. So what, what do you make of all this? Well, the, the way to think Putin, in my opinion, first of all, is to become, is to, to sink him as far as his economy is concerned. If he can't afford to fight a war, then obviously he can't fight it. 
And the way to sink Putin in that case is the oil exportation business that we ourselves as the United States is providing. We need to become independently or independent, I should say, as far as oil is concerned, just like we were before. Open up the Keystone Pipeline. Matter of fact, open up other pipelines as well and become independent from other countries, not just not just the Russians, but as well as uh, the Middle Eastern countries. It takes away his foothold on us from our dependency for other countries so we can tell him, you know what, we don't care if you import or export oil or not. We've got our own, and what's more is we're going to kill your your import-export of the oil business, which is what everybody knows that's what Putin's bread and butter is. Take it away from him. And that way he can't afford to, to actually fight a war. That would be great, but it appears that the administration is so beholden to the far left of his party for whatever reason. We just found out yesterday that they're delaying decisions on new oil and gas drilling on federal land. Uh, and they are so they're halting new oil and gas leases and some existing ones that are, I guess, up for renewal. And, and oil is nearing $100 a barrel. So he's going in the opposite direction. So I, I just think that he's so beholden for whatever reason to the far left in this country, whoever's running the show uh, uh, in Washington, because I don't know if it's I have my suspicions that it's not Joe Biden. Uh, they're they're having none of it. And I, I wonder if it's just because they are so far removed. Fernando, thank you so much for joining us. I, I wonder if it's they're just so far removed from our lives. They don't live the life that the rest of us do. They're not out there. They're not paying for their gas to fly back home and, every, and everything else. The American taxpayers are. So for them, I just don't think it's a big deal yet. And and maybe that's something that will change <laughs> when they start to get voted out of office in the midterms. In the meantime, we're going to be paying $5 a gallon for gas. But they like that because they want us out of our electric vehicles. I mean, out of our out of our gas guzzlers, as they call them, into electric vehicles. But here's the thing. How do you think you generate electricity? Nobody goes past that. Apparently, it magically comes out of the wall. And there are unicorns behind the wall that magically create electricity. In my state of New Jersey, since like 80% of the electricity in this state is generated by natural gas. <laughs> so you're, you're, it, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it, uh, let's, let's just quickly go to Brian in Illinois. Brian, we have one minute here. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi. Well, your first caller uh, stepped on my point, but it's basically a de facto... We are funding Putin's war by the fact that he's getting an extra forty, fifty dollars a barrel of oil that he's selling. That's a big boon, and all the uh, sanctions aren't going to help unless we're sanctioning his sales of oil. Right, right, and and so far, I mean, but but don't worry, Joe Biden's going to talk to the nation sometime this afternoon. They said early afternoon, but. Who knows? Uh, and, and and he's going to tell us what he's going to do. But I've heard a lot of people say, and, and we'll find out more as the show goes on here. Um, we have a guest coming up in just a couple minutes who's going to talk about some of this, that, you know, these sanctions, sanctions should have been put in place earlier. We shouldn't have waited this long. Coming up, Jay Newman to talk about Russia sanctions and why Putin may be sanction proof on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
administration said the goal of the sanctions is to prevent and deter a wider invasion of mm -hmm. Ukraine. If Russia does attack, as U.S. officials are warning that they're imminently prepared to do, does that mean that strategy has failed? Well, I would say as we look at it, we're focused on accomplishing two things. One is uh, implementing serious costs for the actions that have already been taken. So uh, the actions in the Donbass, and we've taken steps beyond what we did in 2014, which obviously I just outlined at the beginning of the briefing. Second, yes, deterrence is part of our objective. If he goes further, we will go further. We have a range of tools at our disposal. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. That was Jen Psaki uh, yesterday talking about sanctions. And that is a question a lot of people are asking. Should they have been done sooner? What sanctions can stop Putin? Jay Newman is a trader, investment banker, hedge fund portfolio manager. He's the author of a new book called Under Money. It's a thriller. I love thrillers. Uh, it's about dark money and global politics. So who better to discuss sanctions, especially financial sanctions, than Jay Newman? Thank you for joining us. Mary, thank you. A pleasure to be here. So all we hear about is sanctions. You know, we, we're going to sanction uh, Putin, but we had sanctions on Putin that uh, on the Nord Stream pipeline. And Joe Biden reversed that because Donald Trump put it in. Now Joe Biden has put it back. But is it too little too late? I'm extremely skeptical that sanctions are going to work uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, Putin was really caught out in 2014 after he took Crimea, uh, and sanctions really did have an effect on the Russian economy. But what he did was to make, uh, make uh, dramatic efforts to sanction-proof himself. Uh, at this point, Russia has reduced its debt. Uh, it's got reserves of $630 billion, uh, and it's acting more like a, um, uh, a criminal cartel rather than a sovereign state. So Russia has been planning this and planning to protect itself from sanctions for years now. Okay, so what stops Putin then, I guess, is the question. If sanctions aren't going to work for him, because I've heard his economy, and clearly I'm wrong, but I've always heard that, that Russia's kind of a dying superpower. Their their economy is on its way down, and, and Putin knows that, and that's why he did this now. Uh, but if he's made himself sanction-proof, then the economy really isn't on the way down. So then what works? Well, what do we do? Well, it's um, it's... It's, I think it's extremely hard to know what to do. Uh, and I want to add one more piece to what uh, uh, Putin and his cronies are up to, because it seems very clear that they've been profiting from all this volatility. We can go back a year when the Russians and the Saudis were pretending to decide who would produce more oil, who would produce less oil. And in the meantime, oil prices were, were rocketing up and rocketing down. The Russians and his oligarchic friends were trading on all that information. Uh, and even in the last few weeks, uh, Russians have been trading. And in addition to adding to the reserves from the increase in the price of oil, so perhaps reserves are no longer $630 billion, maybe they're $700 billion, maybe they're $800 billion. The oligarch class has itself become very wealthy uh, and therefore it has a lot of resources to, uh, to bring to the table. It sounds familiar. We've been told as the commoners, you know, that we're going to have to buckle up because it, it's going to we're going to we're going to feel some pain to defend democracy. In other words, get pre get prepared to pay five dollars a gallon of gas. But, you know, suck it up because we're defending democracy. Uh, does do these sanctions then hurt Americans more than they hurt the Russians? 
I, I think Putin thinks that, and I'm more in his camp than not. Just some examples. Uh, Russia and Ukraine produce um, 90% of the neon gas uh, available in the world. Neon gas is extremely important for the production of silicon chips. Without neon gas, our chip industry is crippled. So even while we're talking about putting sanctions on Putin's ability to import uh, chips, uh, he could stop chip production pretty much altogether if he gets control over the neon gas production in the Ukraine. Uh, and that's before we talk about wheat or palladium or aluminum. Uh, it's, a, it's a very dangerous game of chicken with Putin because there are many things that he can do uh, in order to stymie you know, our efforts and to hurt our economy. The costs could be really dramatic. So do, is there a movement then to push Biden to pull away from the left of the party and in, re, go back to reinstating the energy policies that President Trump had in place when we were energy independent in this country? It's absolutely essential. I mean, the, the things the Biden administration have done uh, to inhibit the production of shale gas, uh, cutting off the uh, Keystone Pipeline, these are, these are absurd. And we're seeing the, the impact of that on, in Europe uh, at the moment. I mean, uh, uh, Russia, through Nord Stream 1, supplies 30% of European gas. Uh, over the last several months, uh, that's been cut back by Russia, so reserves are depleted. So normally you'd have storage for three, four, five, six months. That storage is almost gone. Uh, and and I, would, I would say this again. Uh, it seems it's extremely clear that the oligarch class is trading on all this volatility. So every time Putin does something with advanced knowledge, you know, his friends and family and the Russian state can make money on that volatility. So it's not just that he's declaring war. It's that he's making money from the whole process and from knowing what's going to happen. Right, right. Now, the other theory is that Putin is just trying to weaken the Ukraine, crash their economy, which has happened because... Weeks ago, we had the president of the Ukraine telling telling the West to stop with the war talk because people were pulling out businesses. Uh, people were shipping was having a problem because they're trying to get around Russian submarines and, and vessels. So it, so putting that stranglehold on their economy weakens them. And then that's what he wants, because they'll be less likely to join NATO then. And they'll just cede to his demands to not join NATO, which is the uh, which is at the root of this. Uh, it's absolutely at the root of it. And I would, I would really not want to be Ukraine today. Putin has been planning this for a long time, uh, and at, at least since Crimea in 2014. Uh, and uh, we'll, see, we'll see where the, the dust settles. But there are um, – uh, the if we start going down the route of retaliatory sanctions and then uh, Putin uh, sanctioning us or affecting us, affecting our economy, it's a very slippery slope. And you know, that's that's before we even think about the possibility of uh, cyber attacks, uh, which we know the Russians are extremely good at. Um, it's it's a real it's a real mess. And it's it's hard to see how it ends well unless somebody starts to uh, back off. So I ask the question, then, as I'm sitting here in, you know, in, in the United States, why are we involved in this? 
it's not Ukraine is not a NATO country. Why is this now America's problem? Why are we also a target now um, instead of this just being between Russia and the Europeans? The Europeans have far more at stake than Americans do. So why are we in the middle of this? It's a mystery to me, Mary. I think that uh, the Russian, the, the uh, Europeans should be taking the lead on this. If anything, the U.S. should be uh, in the backseat saying, attaboy, uh, go for it. Uh, but why, why are we putting a target on our backs when this is primarily a European issue and they are not taking the lead? Well, because I, I think they're used to us not taking the lead, right? You know, we're the policemen of the world. The United States is the leader. And that's all well and good. But we're not the superpower we used to be. We've weakened our military, military a lot, uh, so, so we are weaker that way. Um, I, I just don't think we are the fighting force we used to be. But regardless of that, I, I just don't think that we should be the, the ones leading this fight. Uh, and I, it really bothers me, and I think they're just so used to us being the ones to come in and bail everybody out and fight everyone's battles that they don't bother. They're like, oh, the United States will come in. Because especially with Joe Biden, I think Joe Biden is that guy who would send American forces. I mean, they're in Poland. I get it. And they're handling evacuees and, and all that. I don't think they're going to go in to the Ukraine. But I do see us on the brink of a situation where we could be looking at American lives being lost for the Ukraine. Well, American lives, um, for sure. And the American economy, uh, for sure. We're already feeling it. We were, we were facing inflation before this. Uh, and now... Um, Russia and, and Putin are in a position to cause our costs to go up dramatically in a lot of uh, critical commodities. Yeah, it is all it's all very scary. Jane Newman, thank you for joining us explaining the issue with sanctions to us. It's going to be very interesting to follow. You got to check out his book. It's called Under Money. It's all one word. The Wall Street Journal called it lurid, fast paced and deeply thoughtful. It's about dark money and global politics. Love those types of books. Jane Newman, thank you. Thank you, Mary. 866-408-7669 is the number. Coming up, I want to ask you about uh, Biden's approval rating. It's underwater, which we know. But does this help him at all? I, I know some people on the left are saying, oh, this is going to help the Democrats. Like, how does this help the Democrats crashing our economy? I'm not quite sure how that works. 866-408-7669. I'll get your calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm close to amazed by how far Putin seems to have come in making throwing his lot with the West. Um, He seems to have, from all the briefings I've gotten, uh, actually uh, stiff-armed his military here and stiff-armed some of the Browns and Reds in the, uh, in the, uh, um, uh, in his government uh, and out of government and made a very, I don't think anybody since Peter the Great has made such a significant, at least initial move to the West. Ah, that was back in 2001 when Joe Biden was praising Putin, comparing him to Peter the Great, uh, Peter the Great, the first emperor of Russia. He he waged many wars and he expanded the nation uh, into a major European power and uh, tried to move his government towards Western enlightenment. Um, But it's interesting because, you know, remember Trump? He was the one who was in with Putin. Oh, Trump praised Putin. Trump loves Putin. 
Huh. Uh, just a couple of updates. There are reports that uh, Russian aircraft have been downed in Ukraine. Uh, they are denying it, but there are pictures all over social media of downed Russian aircraft. So take it for what it's worth. It's a fluid situation. And also the U.S. saying that uh, cyber threats still active, still real for our uh, our grids, our power grids, and, and uh, also for banks as well, financial institutions. So all of that's still at play if Putin wants to really rope the U.S. into this. And I don't know if he wants to do that. 866-408-7669. Let's get to Bruce listening on the app in New Jersey. Hey, Bruce. Welcome to the Brian Kilman Show. Doing? How are you doing? Glad Good. you're from Jersey yourself. But, yes, uh, I am. I'm just, I'm just going to mimic what the uh, last two callers, now it's going to be three of us, are saying is he's got to pump all – President Biden has got to pump all the oil. Just announcing it will drive the price down. And Putin's, if you drive the price down from $100 a barrel down to $50 a barrel, no matter how much, he's got 900 pill in reserve. They depend on oil and gas. And that's how you're going to hurt him more than these other things. And who, if they're worried about climate change, who do you think pumps it cleaner? Russia or our American workers who would be making a good salary instead of Russian workers making a good salary. I mean, it's like a no-brainer. I just can't think how these people are this ignorant. I don't want to – I don't like to call people names or anything, and I don't think of calling them a name, but they're just not using any common sense. Start saying you're going to pump oil from every well we got. And thanks for listening. And you got a good show there, too. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate you you joining us. And here's the thing, though. This is where the ideology in the Democrat Party, the far left, is bumping up against the moderates because their move, and, and Joe Biden has made it clear that this is his belief as well, their move is to get the U.S. off gasoline. Our state of New Jersey, where Bruce is from, where I'm from, we have uh, Governor Murphy who's saying, you know, I want to be the California of the East, and he's... He wants to push through, and with a Democrat state legislature, it'll probably happen in New Jersey, no houses being built anymore with gas heating or you know gas stoves and gas ovens and all that stuff. None of that will be available anymore. But yet, electricity in the state of New Jersey, almost all of it, the vast majority, like 80% of it, is generated via natural gas. So, again, who do you think is going to provide energy cleaner? Bruce made an excellent point. Russia? India? China? No, we have more restrictions in this country on the production of of energy, on the use of coal and and digging for coal and processing coal, and the same thing for natural gas, etc., and crude. We've got the strictest restrictions here. And we enforce them. They don't. But this is about getting you out of your car and getting into an electric vehicle. Because that's what they think is going to solve the world's problem. Because in their brains, the biggest problem facing us right now is climate change. They they, they can't... <laughs> I keep telling me, I keep hearing that, you know, Pete Buttigieg can't solve the uh, the supply chain crisis, right? That's a, it's a big problem. And we still have the supply chain crisis. They can't figure that out, but yet they're going to st- control the, ch- the temperature of the world, of the planet. That just makes no sense. They can't tell me what the weather is going to be like in, in, in 10 days from now, but they're going to tell me that, that they can control the climate. I'm sorry, but that's just a disconnect in my brain. 
And, and everyone is absolutely right. We put ourselves in this position with Putin. Joe Biden did it with the stroke of a pen because he had to reverse everything that Trump did. Joe, listening on KFNX in Arizona. Joe, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, how's it going, Mary? Going good. So what's your take on this? Well, I, I mean, I do agree with Bruce. I mean, that's a really good point. We have some of the cleanest plants on the planet you know what i mean the only thing that comes out of our our coal plant is water vapor it, our scrubbers are you know what i mean yeah and over in china they have to wear masks around you know what i mean yes all of their all of their you know what i mean all of their plants mm-hmm. but i did one point i heard i heard um wayne allen root say this yesterday it's a really good point Ukraine is Biden's closet full of skeletons. Yes. They think we have a, these Democrats, they think we have a short memory where, you know what I mean, the, the Biden crime family is messing around in Ukraine and China and all this. If Vladimir Putin gets into Ukraine, he gets the inside baseball on the Biden crime family. That's why, that's why Biden cannot have Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. And, and I, we've, I've had this discussion with lots of friends. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Here's the thing, though. If they get Zelensky, they have a list. We know they, we've been told that the Russians have a list of politicians and, and high-profile Ukrainians that they want to capture and or kill, right? You know Zelensky is at the top of that list. If they can get their hands on Zelensky, maybe a lot of Biden's secrets die with him. So that may not be a bad thing for Joe Biden and the rest of the Biden family. I, and I thought, well, all right, that, that may be something to, to take into consideration there. And if this were, imagine, and I hate to play this game, but imagine if this was Trump that we were in this position with. The left would be screaming about Trump being in bed with uh, the Ukrainians. Right. That's exactly what would be happening. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on Fox News Radio. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. There have been at least uh, 20 explosions here in the capital, in Kiev. We suspect that it's mainly been military targets, military intelligence, command and control centers. The Russians have said they are using precision-guided weapons. We have not heard any reports of mass casualties here in the capital. But certainly the explosions are enough to scare the heck out of people. People are throwing what they can in their car and getting out. And the government, even just a couple days ago, was saying there will be no wider war. That changed dramatically about an hour before dawn today. That's when the first explosions hit in a series here of four or five. That's Steve Harrigan reporting from Kiev in the Ukraine. Joining us now is Mark Thiessen, former chief presidential speechwriter for George W. Bush, a Fox News contributor and a Washington Post columnist, also a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Mark, thank you for joining me. Good to be with you. 
All right. So were, were we surprised? I was surprised when I saw that they went right to Kiev. I kept being told that Kiev is 500 miles from Russia. They just want to go for these uh, these two states, Eastern, that are close to Russia. They want to bring them back into the fold. I wake up this morning to them bombing Kiev. Was I was I misled on that or were we expecting this all along? Uh, I think that this is the worst case scenario and that Putin had planned this the whole time. He's, he's going for a full decapitation strike. Uh, he's going to overthrow the, uh, the regime, install a uh, pro-Russian government, um, and it might not stop there. He could go for the Baltic states, too. Uh, this is, this is a, we are, we're on the verge of a, of a cataclysmic war in Europe right now, um, and the consequences for us here at home are, are, are significant. Why now? Why is Putin doing this now? Because he senses a moment of American weakness. Uh, he said it's no coincidence that this happened uh, just months after the uh, disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, he knows that President Biden is weak at home. I mean, what are the, the main tool that we have short of military action to to deter him is uh, sanctions. And particularly the only the only major exports Russia has that are worth anything are oil and gas. Well, he knows that uh, Biden has been waging war on fossil fuels here at home and that gas prices are are up a uh, dollar fifteen uh, since since he took office. Americans are already paying more at the pump, and he's calculating that Biden's not willing to pull the trigger on the kind of sanctions that would raise gas prices above you know four dollars, maybe five dollars a gallon. Um, so he 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 thinks that the Biden is weak at home. He's weak on the world stage. America is not in a position to to confront or stop him, and so he's taking his shot uh, to to uh, refer to uh, refer to Hamilton. And guess what? Uh, if if uh, he's taking his shot in Ukraine, China may decide that this is the moment uh, to uh, to go for Taiwan. America America can America no longer has a two war strategy. We don't we haven't resources. Our defense budget has been declining. Uh, and we no longer are capable of fighting two wars at the same time. And so they're, they're, you know, we, we couldn't come to Taiwan's defense and also uh, deter Russia from going for the Baltic states. So this, this, could, this, could, this could really escalate dramatically beyond, beyond Ukraine very quickly. It's so many questions that I have because I, I did want to ask you uh, about the Chinese as well with this. Okay, so so he is perceived he perceives Biden as being weak, and I think he's spot on with that assessment. We, I mean, Biden came out and told him we will not send American troops to the Ukraine. Okay, so now I know what I'm up against. He never, I don't think I'm not a military strategist, but it didn't seem like a smart move to me when Joe Biden said we will not commit uh, American troops to this. But if Biden is as weak as as we all seem to think that he is doesn't Putin benefit from keeping Democrats in power we have the midterms coming up and we're already thinking that it's going to be you know a a red wave that is going to wipe a lot of Democrats out of power and make Biden pretty much a lame duck wouldn't he want to maintain that and so maybe do small incursions and, and smaller movements because he could take more and more and more over time in, t- in little bites as opposed to this one big, full-blown war that's going to it's got to hurt the Democrats a lot here. And he may lose that um, Joe Biden as that friendly power. Yeah, I think I think he's just sensing he has a window. Um, and he's going to take it. And with that window closes, you know, I mean, again, Biden could be in office for uh, even if the, even if uh, Republicans take back one or both houses of Congress, uh, Biden's still president for uh, for three more years. Uh, so he's got this window and he's and he's moving on it. And I'll tell you, this is, this might not stop in Ukraine. Uh, General Jack Keane, uh, 
Uh, I interviewed him on my podcast, What the Hell is Going On, uh, this week. And he said that, uh, you know, everyone thinks, well, the Baltics, you know, because when Putin, what Putin gave that speech the other night, he, he said that all the countries that were for, part of the former Soviet Union, he de- denied that they were independent nations. So Ukraine used to be part of the former Soviet Union, so therefore it's a part of Russia. That also applies to the Baltic states, too, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Everybody thinks, well, okay, they're NATO allies, so uh, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing, he wouldn't go after them. Jack Keane ran a uh, ran a war game with, with as part of a congressional commission, and it was the the war game was about a Russian invasion of uh, of the Baltic states, and he said that the Russians uh, were successful and and took over the Balts in three days, and we were unable to stop them. Um, so we we're not in a position to stop him uh, if he decides to go for the Baltic states. Though so we would then be at war with Russia uh, because of Article Five of the, the NATO Charter. Uh, but he could go for more, and he could threaten Poland. He could, there's a there's a lot he could do. This could this this is very very dangerous situation, and that's why we can't project weakness on the world stage. Yeah, well, that ship has sadly already sailed. How much, if at all, does the Biden do the Biden family connections with the Ukraine play into this? Is there a fear? Could that be playing in on Biden's part of you know a lot of the Biden family secrets being laid bare? I don't think that they're worried, terribly worried about that. Okay. Uh, that's not. I don't think that's making decision the, the decision making on, on in terms of how he's handling this. I mean, this is a this is a Russian invasion of a, of a of the largest country in Europe, a, a democracy, uh, imperfect democracy like many like many are. Um, but it's uh, you know this it's a it's a massive uh, national security crisis uh, that's bigger than all that. Uh, let, let's talk about also. Um, the oil and gas part of this and the sanctions and a lot of people saying, OK, so so Biden st- made us we were energy independent. We no longer are. We actually import uh, fuel from Russia. So we are dependent on that. And we're going to see the prices go up here at the same time. Yesterday, uh, it, we find out that Biden is halting oil and gas lease- leases yep. now because of a ruling that they lost earlier in February. Um, and it's going to that ruling affects at least four federal agencies. So instead. Instead of pushing forward and allowing these leases to go through, the Biden administration is now halting them as we see oil and gas reaching almost $100 a barrel. Why, in God's name, would they be doubling down on that? What is the thinking that is happening? They care more about climate change than they care about Ukraine or they care about gas prices that Americans are paying at the bump. It's just that simple. I mean, in his speech on Monday, after this invasion started in the Donbass region, Biden said, as we respond, my, this is a quote, my administration is using every tool at our disposal to protect American businesses and consumers from rising prices at the pump. No, he's not. <laughs> Literally, the weekend, the weekend before, he, he barred uh, any new federal drill, uh, drilling on, fed, uh, on federal land. If you're doing everything in your power to, to protect consumer prices at the pump, uh, you should be drilling everywhere. <laughs> we should right. be, he should be reversing his decision on the Keystone XL pipeline. The Keystone XL pipeline would would allow us to bring in 830,000 barrels of, of oil a day from Alberta. We only get 538,000 barrels a day from Russia, so it would more than make up for any loss of, of, of exports from Russia. Right. Um, why, why have we not approved the Keystone XL pipeline? It's, it, it's, just, it's just mind-boggling. You cannot wage war on fossil fuels and prevent Vladimir Putin from waging war on Ukraine at the same time. What is 
the thinking on the Democrats? I, I do want to get to China, so I'm going to go quickly here. But what is the thinking for the Democrats? They already know that their prospects for, for the midterms are very bleak. Are they just committing suicide? This, they, they have to know when people are paying $5 a gallon, they're not going to vote for the party in power. The, the problem is that the, 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 the Church of Climate Change is a cult, and they're, and they're members of the cult, and they're, they've drunk the Kool-Aid. Uh, and so, you know, they look at it and say, well, it's bad what's happening in Ukraine, but climate change is an existential threat to humanity. So we're, that's more important. Uh, we can't stop dealing with climate change just because Putin, uh, you know, Putin invades Ukraine. Uh, they, they're, they're just they've, they've drunk the Kool-Aid. Um, wow. And uh, it's 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 disastrous. We you know we should be doing an all of the above energy approach. We should be sure we should be producing, uh, getting, uh, investing in renewables, but we should also be drilling as much as we can because we we ha- we're an energy like think about this. In, we're an energy superpower now. We were when Donald Trump was in office, right? The Democrats in the Cold War. We were a nuclear superpower, which was most of it was was important in our in our confrontation with the Soviets. And what were the Democrats for? Nuclear disarmament, right? That was the big movement. Was we got we have to have nuclear disarmament? That's what the left was right, saying. Right. Well, now they want energy disarmament. Energy is the is the is the, is the, is, the, is a tool of national security, and they're unilaterally disarming us of one of the most important tools we have, uh, short of war, in in protecting American national security and defending democracy around the world. It's it's just insanity to me. Uh, I, very quickly in the time we have left, you mentioned the Chinese and the Chinese saying that Taiwan is not you is uh, Taiwan is not part of is part of China, that yep. it is not a separate entity, and we know it has existed since 1949 when the government fled to escape the communist forces, and they've been there ever since. Is that a shot across the bow from Beijing, or is that something that's, you know, maybe just thumping their chests? I don't know. Well, you know, it's interesting. The Chinese foreign minister at the at the Munich Security Conference issued a statement saying, to, in defense of national sovereignty and saying that we can, that one nation should not be able to violate the sovereignty of another nation, including Ukraine. And everyone thought, oh, isn't this forward-looking? Isn't this a tilt towards the United States? That's a really great diplomatic victory. No, it's not, because they considered Taiwan to be inside their sovereign territory, <laughs> right? That right, was a yeah. warning to us. Don't yeah. you interfere. With what we do in our sovereign territory, that wasn't that wasn't a pro-American, anti-Russian uh, statement. That was a pro-China taking over Taiwan statement. Um, so they they believe that China is that Taiwan is an integral part of uh, of China, and if they move on it to to to, to reunite the reunite it, they they're warning us not to interfere in their internal affairs. Wow. I just I just don't think that the current administration and I think it would be a strain for any administration, but the current administration can handle uh, all these moving pieces. Joe Biden, as we know, is not the best at foreign policy. He's been criticized by some in his own party for his inability to be able to handle foreign policy. So but I honestly I don't know if he's actually running the show when it comes to foreign policy. There are so many voices that have input into it that that could actually be something good, I think, in this in this situation. Mark Thiessen, thank you for joining me. Take care. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine is my number. If you want to jump in, you know, I said I don't understand why the Democrats would be doing this now. And Mark said, you know, you've got the church of climate control, but his approval ratings are underwater under the Russian-Ukraine conflict, as they are in so many areas. Are they just committing suicide? 
866-408-7669. Your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's hard to be ready for things like this. By the way, it's not about only Ukraine. Uh, I think that we are moving. It, it, can, it can finish uh, the uh, Third World War with the Third World War. It's uh, absolutely clear. So the danger is for the whole world. And Putin is not going to stop. So I don't know what to add. Putin is mad. He is Hitler of 21st century. He should be stopped now or he will go forward. He will not stop on Ukraine. Sorry, but he will not stop. That's Alexei Gon- Goncharenko, who is the Ukrainian in Ukrainian MP, and that's what we were were just hearing from Mark Thiessen saying, you know, this may not stop at the Ukraine. There is nothing to stop him from continuing going on and taking back the rest of those breakaway countries, Moldova being just on the other side of the Ukraine. And the reason I know about Moldova is because 90 Day Fiance, one of the guys who one of the Americans brought over, is from Moldova. And I was so curious as to where it was. I actually looked it up at the time on the map. So that's how I know, Um, which is very scary. And you've got, you know, rumblings from China saying, well, you know, Taiwan is part of China. It is not an independent country. It's not an independent state. It's part of part of China. And and China and Putin are very, very cozy. And that puts us in a very, very bad position. I want to get to your calls, but before I do, I want to say uh, hello to KLIK in Jefferson City, Missouri. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having us. We do appreciate you having the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's go to Florida. W-O-K-V, Steve, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, how are you? Great I'm show doing today, good. So, so what's your take on this? Um, I think it. Uh, when the president comes out today to speak to the American people, if he does in a position of strength, and declare we're reopening the XL pipeline, we're opening all the federal lands for exploration and drilling again of gas and oil. And hopefully he told the G6 today that I will supply, the United States will supply you with the gas you're losing from uh, what we're getting in, uh, you're getting from Russia. Um, Otherwise, Putin's just going to keep marching because he doesn't care about the sanctions. He'll let his people starve to death before he gives up any land that he thinks he should have. Do you think that will happen, though? Uh, well, I uh, I doubt um, Brandon is going to come out at noon and say anything other than uh, um, we're going to stick to our sanctions and the American people are going to have to suffer uh, to defend uh, freedom. I think you're right. Sadly, I do, because I, I think that, as Mark Thiessen said, uh, that, you know, this is the church of climate change and they worship the church of climate change. And it's it's a belief, just like a religion to them. And it is so strong. And for whatever reason, Biden has decided to appease that part of his party, the far left. Um, the only good thing that I see about this, and thank you, Steve, for joining us. The only good thing I, that I, I can see coming out of all of this is that, I mean, it just sinks the Democrat Party even further. 
because, you know, they did it with their kids in school. And I kept saying this is a silver lining because it doesn't matter whether a candidate has a D or an R after their name and whether the voter has a D or R after their name. When you're talking about my kids, all bets are off. And I think it's the same thing when I'm trying to put food on the table, but gas is calling, costing me five, six dollars a gallon to, and I, and I can't get food and I can't get supplies and we're starting to look like Venezuela. There's a lot of people who are sitting on the fence who are not far left, who are saying this has to change. And you've got his approval rating, a poll yesterday released by Politico Morning Consult uh, showing 40% of voters approved of Biden's management of the conflict. Now that may have changed today. Uh, 10% disapproved. 35% said they strongly disapprove overall. Uh, the poll gave him a negative approval rating, 44 to 53%. 58% saying they felt Biden would be responsible if uh, it increases American gas prices. So the only positive I see here is the Democrats being so tone deaf, they don't see what this is going to do to them coming up in 22 and in local elections as well. Coming up, Dr. Nate Zinzer will be joining us on um, how battle testing your... Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Joining us now is Dr. Nate Zinzer. He's the author of a new book. It's called The Confident Mind, a Battle-Tested Guide to Unshakable Performance. And boy, what a day to have you on, Dr. Zinzer. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Dr. Zinzer is the director of West Point's Influ- uh, performance psychology program. So super interesting to have you here today because you get you train uh, the nation's future leaders on on how to have a mindset that prepares you to go into battle. You also train um, athletes that we know the names of to, to be able to perform under stressful situations. And yet you say that the average person can also learn how to do this. What is the, the difference between those of us who know how to, those of us who don't know how to do this and those who do? Um. I think the answer to that is simple exposure to some uh, very important effective thinking habits, and anyone can cultivate those habits. We tend to put, you know, our Olympic gold medalists and our uh, outstanding professional athletes on some kind of pedestal, thinking that they are, you know, remarkably different human beings from the rest of us, when the truth of it is they are extraordinarily talented human beings, but they are still human beings and they've got fears, doubts, worries, just like the rest of us. And so if we can teach ourselves, teach our children how to think effectively, well, maybe they won't be the next LeBron James because they don't have that kind of genetic talent, but maybe they can be extraordinarily great at the things that they are talented in. We saw that, of course, that what comes to mind is Simone Biles, right? She she wound up not competing because of some mental health issues that she was having at the time. So what I mean, what happened there? And was that the right thing for her to do to pull out? Or was there a way she could have handled that in order to compete? Well, I don't know Ms. Biles um, personally, so I can't 
truly speculate or, you know, I can't be definitive about that. Um, she felt that she was not in a position where she could compete effectively, and it was in her own best interest overall to withdraw from that competition and prepare for some other ones. Um, that is a simple fact of being human. Sometimes we're not at our best. There are times when we have to step up and do it. The Olympics is, again, a, a game. It's an athletic competition. Um, it's not life and death. It's not the battlefield where you really have no choice but to be as effective as possible. Um, so I truly understand the pressure that these Olympians are under, yeah. and I truly respect their decision to step back a little bit and gain some perspective on themselves. Now, you talk about that feeling you get in your gut before for some people for public speaking, for an athlete before they go out on a field, for a commander before he goes into battle, that that feeling that we get in our guts and the difference between, uh, I guess, that makes a person successful is they embrace that and they use that uneasiness that makes a lot of other people just flee and not be able to perform. How do you learn to harness that and make it work for you as opposed to working against you? Well, I think the key is to understand what is actually going on in your body as you feel that not in your stomach, as you feel the, the perspiration, the, uh, the, the shaky limbs, what's, what's really underlying that? And that is the simple fact that your body is undergoing a biochemical shift that is designed to energize you and actually give you an opportunity to perform well. What you do, unfortunately, is interpret those physiological signals as an indicator that we're not prepared or we won't do well, when actually those signals are simply telling us that our body is going into an elevated state to help us make that speech, play that game, give that presentation. And if we start with that understanding, then we can change the narrative that we tell ourselves about those physical symptoms. Instead of saying, oh gosh, I'm so nervous, we can say, wow, I'm excited. My body is turning on. That puts you in a whole different emotional state and will allow so much better your talent, your training, your knowledge to come out on demand. I, I just find the whole thing so interesting. One of the other uh, scenarios that I thought of when I was when I was reading this is that you know, I wonder, does this work for phobias? So many people have phobias. I hear so many young people talk about anxiety. I have anxiety. Everybody's got anxiety now if you're under the age of 40. Uh, does it work for things like phobias? And does it also help understand then people who, who may deal with anxiety and have a problem with that? I think it can help, definitely, that feeling of fear and doubt and worry, which we sometimes use the label anxiety for. Uh, that fear is the result of, in many, many cases, not certainly not in all cases, but in many cases, it's the result of just repeated thoughts that we have about things. We ruminate about mm -hmm. the difficulty we have with a particular class in school or a particular task at work or a particular personality that we have to interact with um, in our work team. And it's that repetitive thought that basically produces a mood or an emotional state of, of irritation and worry. So if we can get a hold 
of those conscious thoughts, and this is a you know standard practice um, in psychology. If we can get a hold of those conscious thoughts, we might alleviate a lot of those uncomfortable feelings. Now, there are certainly cases where some deep-seated trauma or difficulty may have happened in a person's past, and then we might have to dig a little deeper. But even in those cases, eventually, you're just going to have to get a hold of how you think, what you remember, what you say to yourself all day long, and what you picture about your future. And everybody can get a hold of that better and better and better with practice. And, and one last question. Can, can parents use the advice in this book, The Confident Mind, to help their kids as they're growing up in, in athletic performances, but also in school to get a hold of this? Oh, absolutely. I think it is crucially important for parents to model the effective thinking practices that I recommend so that their children who are very empathetic, who, who absorb everything that mom and dad do, so they get a sense of it. And then you can also very carefully communicate to your children about the progress they're making, emphasizing that rather than emphasizing the setbacks. You can teach your child to maintain a optimistic sense of who they are and what they have the potential to be rather than feeding to them memories of disappointments and reminding them about how hard it can be. Um, you've got to balance those things out or else your child develops a opinion of him or herself that is probably going to lead to, as we've been discussing, fear, doubt, worry when it comes time to take the test or play the game. Yeah. And, and, and what you talk about is you talk about the taking away the importance, the implications of winning or losing and taking your thought process away from that. And, and it's no longer about that. It's about, Hey, I can, I can go do this. I will hit the ball. I, I will, you know, get that good grade. And it's a very different way of thinking that I think a lot of us currently think it's a different mode than the way a lot of Americans think. So the book is the confident mind, a battle tested guide to unshakable performance. You can follow him on Twitter at Doc Zinzer, Z-I-N-S-S-E-R. Thank you so much. This is uh, truly great on a day like today when we're talking about uh, all these military events happening and you happen to train a lot of those West Point grads in how to be a good performer. So thank you. And thank you. Best of luck to all your listeners out there. Thanks, Dr. Nate Zinzer. Your call is 866-408-7669. That is the number I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Ukraine is never coming in NATO. We, they, we knew that they weren't coming in NATO. That's the reason why we said we're not going to fight for them. We're not going to fight for them now or later. If we had taken Ukraine and NATO membership off the table, uh, then there would have been a shot of actually avoiding this altogether. But instead, we kept saying, no, the door's open. Nobody's going to tell us not, but we're not going to fight for them. So now Ukraine is on their own. Nobody's fighting for them. And there was a chance to prevent this bloodshed. And we didn't even try. That was Lieutenant Colonel 
Daniel Davis retired on Fox News at night. And a lot of this does go back to NATO and membership in NATO. In 94, we had, uh, well, back in the 90s, Vladimir Putin said, I don't want NATO countries, these these former parts of the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union. I don't want these countries becoming part of NATO. I want a buffer between NATO countries and and my country. And we gave him that promise. And then we went back on that promise. And there was a big push by Bill Clinton to bring these countries into NATO. And I understand where Vladimir Putin's like, I don't trust you when it comes to Ukraine. If you say they're not going to be in NATO, I'm really not trusting that right now. And he wanted that back. And he may go further, as we keep hearing. He may go back and take some of these other countries, but then you bring NATO into it, depending on the countries that he goes after to try to bring them into the Soviet Union. It's a big, big mess. 866-408-7669. And you're hearing a lot of analogies to Hitler with the Sudetenland and the start of World War II. Well, they're Germans. This used to be part of Germany. I'm just bringing them back to the fatherland. It's the same language that Putin is using. Let's go to Dave uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, listening on KLIN. Hi, Dave. Hey, good morning. Um, I just wanted to say that I think it's um, time to be uh, proactive rather than reactive. And what I mean by that is um, I think before Putin takes all of Ukraine, and then decides that he wants to move into uh, Hungary and Romania. Um, why why aren't uh, NATO countries uh, sending cruise missiles into Moscow right now? Why you know do you really think that stopping the flow of natural gas on the Nord Stream two from Russia into Germany is going to uh, stop Putin from continuing his march across Europe? You know it's time to get. Um, proactive rather than reactive. And then the other the other comment I had is, what's going to happen to the billions of dollars of of uh, weapons that we we sent over to uh, Ukraine? You know, if the country is taken over by the Russians, aren't they just going to fall into the hands of the Russians? Um, very similar to what happened in Afghanistan. Afghanistan, yeah. Well. It- from what I understand, from, from what I've heard, and those are all great questions, which obviously I can't answer those questions. I'm, I, I don't know why we're not doing some things. And I don't know if, uh, you know, having having Europe start launching uh, missiles into Russia and go for full war in Europe, bringing millions and millions of people into it. I don't know if that's such a good idea. On the other hand, I look at it and go, hmm, Chamberlain, you know, oh, sure, take Czechoslovakia, but leave everybody else alone. That didn't work out too well. So, so, and, and, and is Putin that guy? How far will he go? I, I don't know. Only people who are close to him can answer that question. I don't, I don't know if we really want to go to that point. As far as the weapons, he is apparently told, and we know that he told any Ukrainian who wants to stay and fight, he'll give you weapons. And in a way, that's a good thing because he knows that if Putin starts to come for him because Putin wants to take the whole country, they have a list of politicians and uh, elites in Ukraine that they want to, quote unquote, capture and or kill. And you know that the president of the Ukraine is at the top of that list. So is he's, he's protecting himself 
with Ukrainians who are very nationalistic, who are willing to fight for the country, who have been training to fight citizens, ordinary citizens, and he's handing them guns going, okay, take what you learned. So he will at least have that ability of having an armed citizenry to help protect the country and help defend the country. Now, how many of those are our weapons? I don't know. But is that necessarily a bad thing in that situation? It doesn't sound like a bad thing. But again, I I can't answer that question. There's a lot of unknowns here. Aurelio on WPTF in North Carolina. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. A great show. Thank you. Um, I want to start off start off by saying that uh, we're we're in the position that we're in now because of political gang banging. And what I mean by that is they hated uh, President Trump so much that they just said anything with his name on it, they was going to overturn. They didn't they didn't decipher what was good, what was working, um, what was bad, what we need to get rid of. Very true. And so and so when they um, uh, when they overturned the energy policy and we no longer were energy energy dependent, I mean, energy, energy independent. Um, now we have to cow toe to all of these other places, you know, and another thing that I didn't hear anybody mention, um, what happened uh, when we didn't get to the bottom of the scandal with, um, with um, President Joe Biden and Bo Biden and the scandal with Ukraine? So since we never got to the bottom of that, we don't even know what that relationship was. We don't know what kind of deals was made and all of that. And then I hear a lot of people saying that, um, well, uh, we should be sending missiles over there. Well, um, newsflash, Ukraine is not a member state. You know, um, I think at periods, one of the things that President Trump was doing was focusing on our national interests. You know, um, mm-hmm. and and putting the sanctions on um, on Russia, that's like saying, okay, I'm about to I'm about to punch you, and I'm about to punish you, and start punching yourself in the face. You know, <laughs> um, when we when, when our when our gas prices continue to they already are are crazy now. So when they continue to elevate and go up, you know, it's not them who uh, who we're punishing. It's the citizens of the United States who's being punished. And what is our return on investment right there? I don't right. see and those are listen, those are all great questions. And thank you for bringing up again. I appreciate that, that you, you bring up. Ukraine is not in NATO. We are not obligated under any obligation to come to the Ukraine's Aid. Aurelio, thank you for joining me and making that point. I think that's a really good point. You know, when the last caller said, why aren't we, you know, why isn't Europe shelling uh, Russia? They're under no obligation to defend the Ukraine. And Putin wants to make sure that that never will happen should he want to take it. He did not want Ukraine in NATO. He wanted a buffer around his country of countries that are not part of NATO. So they are under no obligation to do so, which, again, makes me ask the question, why is the United States getting so involved in this? Why are we getting involved in this? This is Europe's problem. So uh, there are so many unanswered questions. We will keep you updated with changes throughout the show. I promise you that on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. We are learning right now that Russian troops have entered the Chernobyl zone of northern Ukraine. This is significant because it is a direct pathway to the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv. Reports do indicate they are facing some fierce opposition from Ukrainian forces. And this does come as we are still following that story taking place just about 15 miles from the Ukrainian capital where Russian forces reportedly took over a military airfield. We saw some video earlier of helicopters that were targeting the airfield as they tried to take it over. And Ukrainian forces say they have shot down three of those attack helicopters. That was Trey Yinkst in the Ukraine with his latest report there. Joining us now is Daniel Hoffman. He's a former CIA station chief, served in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, South Asia, and Europe. He is a Fox News contributor. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, we're hearing what's happening here. You just heard the latest update from Trey Yingst. It looks like they are looking for a, a direct path to Kiev. We know that the Russians have a list of people that they are looking to uh, capture and or kill. I would assume that Zelensky will be at the head of that list. If they capture and kill, basically assassinate a foreign leader, what happens? Where do we go with this and how involved does the U.S. have to be? Well, Russia, uh, listen, has already shown a complete disregard for international law by invading Ukraine on a pretext uh, and violating Ukraine's territorial integrity. They did that in 2014 when they invaded Donbass and illegally annexed Crimea. They violated the U.N. charter by massing 70,000 troops on Ukraine's border back in April of last year and then 200,000 in anticipation of this invasion. Uh, those are extrajudicial killings, uh, and you know I have no doubt that there's a long list of those uh, senior Ukrainian officials. Uh, I would also believe that that the United States government, our intelligence community, is 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 actively collecting uh, intelligence, indications, and warnings, and designed to uh, to to help those uh, those folks stay out of harm's way. As this unfolds so rapidly, and we have, I think, Putin going so much further than a lot of people thought he was going to go, you have China now coming out and saying that Taiwan is not an independent state, that it is part of China. This seems to be spiraling out of control very, very quickly. What is the U.S.'s role in this? Ukraine is not a member of NATO. Why are we involved? Well, listen, you know, uh, when I first started serving in the U.S. government, uh, it was shortly before uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And back then, we thought we were headed for a post-Cold War New World Order where countries respected uh, the sovereignty of other nations. And that's why President George Herbert Walker Bush built a, a global coalition to confront Saddam Hussein. I'm not arguing we should send our troops to Ukraine, but we could have done a lot more. Uh, to shore up Ukraine's defenses over the past roughly decade. And right now, because we didn't do that, uh, we're paying the consequences, and it only emboldens our adversaries. For sure, China is watching very closely uh, at the extent to which the U.S.-led NATO alliance is unable um, to counter Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and that carries with it all sorts of challenges, because China is uh, – 
has been active in, in seeking to penetrate Taiwan's air defenses. Taiwan spends roughly a billion dollars a year uh, scrambling their, their jet fighters in response. Uh, so, listen, the world, we are at a very perilous inflection point right now in the world. And what we need is U.S. leadership. We need someone, we need the president to be standing up on the bully pulpit the way President Reagan did and very carefully and succinctly outlining U.S. strategic interest and why all of this matters to us. Uh, Ukraine was a buffer between Russia and Europe. And let's all remember, Europe has a GDP of about $15 trillion. If there's one lesson we learned from the previous century, it's that when, um, when conflict, military conflict erupts on that continent, uh, economies suffer. That's a direct interest to the United States. And of course, if Russia takes Ukraine, as we look, looks like they will, that will have implications for Turkey because Russia will control the Black Sea. So this seems, again, as from a layman's point of view, this seems to me to have come out of left field and it's happening so quickly. Were we asleep at the wheel here? Was Europe asleep at the switch? Were politicians, NATO in general, just ignoring the signals coming from Putin or did he just surprise everyone? No, he didn't surprise anybody. Remember, he he massed these troops, you know, six, seven yes. months ago on Ukraine's border. So but but even before that, um, recall that upon becoming becoming president of Russia, Vladimir Putin has launched successive wars, successful ones. First, he defeated Chechnya. Then he moved on and defeated Georgia in 2008, uh, annexed Crimea and illegal, you know, and invaded Ukraine in 2014, and then uh, dispatched Russian troops overseas uh, to fight for the first time since the collapse of the Soviet Union in support of the Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad in Syria. He's won all those wars, and that gave him, I think, a measure of hubris about what he could accomplish in his own right. backyard. Uh, we've had lots of intelligence. In fact, this administration, the Biden administration, has been running like a live Twitter feed, uh, declassifying intelligence about Putin's plans and intentions, thinking wrongly that that might deter him from taking action against Ukraine. We were absolutely wrong about that and wrong about the sanctions. Punitive economic measures have never changed Vladimir Putin's calculus. You need strong diplomacy and you need the right military tools. Again, not U.S. troops on the ground in Ukraine, but more military assistance that President Zelensky has been asking for and which we have not provided to the extent that we should have. So why have we gotten this wrong for so long? You know, that's that's a great question. And historians, I don't think, will be very kind to successive U.S. administrations who put uh, a reset with Russia to go back to the Obama administration, uh, you know, or good relations with Russia uh, ahead of shoring up Ukraine's defenses as if those things were mutually exclusive. We could have provided Ukraine with the military and other assistance that they needed to defend themselves while concurrently seeking to engage Russia. In fact, that would have been a much smarter thing to do. That's how Russia operates all over the world. You know, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu visited Moscow more than he ever visited the United States. Uh, why is that? Well, he needed to visit Moscow because Moscow has been providing aid and assistance to Israel's primary foe in the world, Iran. Uh, we felt like we couldn't help Ukraine as much as we should have out of concern that there would be impact, collateral damage to whatever efforts we were trying to, to deliver on Russia. That's a failure on our part because we forgot that Vladimir Putin uh, served in the KGB, and mm -hmm. he's a lot more like Yuri Andropov. Uh, than he is like Boris Yeltsin. And I think uh, that was a strategic failure, but again, a success of U.S. administrations. 
Yeah, it's it's a, the the blame goes back decades when it comes to all of this NATO in '94 with the expansion of NATO, despite you know Putin saying that he didn't want that. I, I want to play a cut here for you. This is a cut nine, Eric. It's Jennifer Griffin on Fox News at night. Now Jennifer Griffin is an excellent reporter, and she is a reporter. She is not an opinion person. You know, she doesn't give her opinion, and she's very sober. I want you to hear what she had to say about Vladimir Putin. This is a man. If you look in his eyes. This is somebody who has gone completely mad. What we are seeing tonight is a moment in history, something we have not seen for generations. War on the continent of Europe, a, a sovereign country being invaded by a nuclear power. Putin has gone completely mad. And I've heard that assessment from others as well. Are we dealing with someone who is out of control? So Jennifer is one of the best in the business, and it's an honor to be her Fox News colleague. Uh, I think that's a question for uh, the U.S. intelligence community. I'm sure that, that President Biden has a whole lot of requirements that he's deliver- issuing to the, to the IC right now, and one of those is you know, what are Putin's plans and intentions, and what is Putin's calculus? I mean, I, I still believe that he is a coldly calculating intelligence officer. He's winning right now. Show me anywhere where Vladimir Putin is not winning right now at this particular moment. Now, I don't rule out that he may have overstretched. General Keene has been saying that. Uh, We just were talking about that uh, on doing a TV hit together. Uh, And I I would recall, and I'm sure Vladimir Putin is very much aware, that the First World War uh, resulted in the collapse of the Tsarist Empire, that General Secretary Brezhnev in the last couple of years of his life, decided to invade Afghanistan. And that drove a few more nails into the evil empire's coffin. Uh, so Vladimir Putin has to be concerned about the potential that this, uh, this attack on Ukraine could result in a very bloody insurgency and result in Russia spilling a prohibitive amount of blood and treasure. All of that is possible. But remember that Ukraine is an existential threat to Russia. That means Putin is willing to pay just about any, threat, any price. And it's not that Ukraine is an existential threat because of any military prowess, far from it. It's because Ukraine uh, is seeking to build a democracy with ties to the West. And nothing has ever scared Vladimir Putin more than liberty, freedom, and democracy. Those are the things that will rip apart his regime and which most threaten it because he denies all of that to his own citizens. So where do we go from here, I guess, is the question. It's been handled wrong, as you noted, by successes, successive presidencies. So this is go back decades. We've, we've misjudged at every, most every term. We have the hand we have now. This is where we are. We can't go back and change anything. Uh, you said sanctions don't work. They don't hurt Vladimir Putin. He knows they're only going to hurt Americans because we are no longer energy independent. So he can cut off you know, his, what he's giving us. He can cut that off. We're going to have prices go through the, the roof to heat and cool your home and drive your car and to get goods, etc. Where do we go? What is the best option at this point for America? Well, we are playing a losing hand right now. There's no question about that. Uh, we have failed to deter Vladimir Putin from invading Ukraine and once again violating U- Ukraine's territorial integrity. And what Vladimir Putin is doing is anticipating on his chessboard what our next move is. And the Biden administration had said that they would provide assistance to Ukraine so they could mount an insurgency. And Vladimir Putin has already issued a state, an official statement that if anything like that ever happens, you know, Russia will respond uh, with the most serious countermeasures. 
What Vladimir Putin knows is that insurgencies depend on safe haven. We know that. In Afghanistan, the Taliban had Pakistan. In Iraq, uh, the, uh, the, um, the Shia uh, militants had Iran uh, as their safe haven. And so there are a number of NATO members on the border of Ukraine, um, Slovakia, Hungary, Poland, Romania. And Vladimir Putin wants to ensure that there is no safe haven for Ukrainian fighters in those NATO countries. That's where we could be headed next. This isn't – don't expect a resolution to this crisis anytime soon. I'm sorry to say that, that the darkest days may very well be ahead of us. Uh, I don't think Vladimir Putin is planning on de-escalating this anytime soon. I think things are only going to get a lot worse. And again, whatever economic measures we'd like to take, they aren't going to do any – they're not going to do enough to change Putin's calculus. So we could basically – in a nutshell, be heading to full-blown war on the European continent yet again? Well, I think all parties are going to want to avoid that. Uh, that would be extraordinarily destructive. I mean, it's, it's as bad enough as it is right now. You may be looking at, at uh, massive numbers of refugees fleeing Ukraine and, and obviously lots of economic hardship, which, you know, remember, on top of the COVID pandemic thing that China caused, you know, this is another a shock to our to our global economy that, that we certainly don't need, but we're getting it thanks to Vladimir Putin. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the question of whether we do see more uh, expansion of the war beyond the borders right now of Ukraine, I mean, that would be a horrific consequence of this, and I'm quite sure that, that there will be a lot of discussion, diplomatic uh, negotiations seeking to avoid that. But make no mistake, we're on the precipice of just that. And miscalculations, you know, once the war starts, I mean, listen, all whatever plans you had, they don't really apply anymore after the first shots fired. And we've seen a lot of shots fired already in Ukraine. And uh, that's uh, that's going to present an extraordinary challenge for the Biden administration, which, you know, has been focused yeah. uh, on you know build back better and covid relief. And I'm not saying that those things aren't important. Infrastructure matters. Uh, but when you turn your head away from Afghanistan or from yes. Ukraine. Uh, and some of the other threats that we face, the wickedly challenging, complex threats to our national security, I, uh, they're going to bite us in the rear end. Let me let me just very quickly, in 30 seconds, because we're running, we're really up against the clock yeah. here, can China pressure Russia to back down? Uh, no, nor would they. But I will tell you just very quickly, this wasn't just about NATO and the United States. Uh, Vladimir Putin is delivering a message to the Chinese. Ukraine's number one trading partner is China. And Vladimir Putin is telling the Chinese by this and by his deployment in Kazakhstan, you can take your Silk Road and do what you like with it, but I own this geographic space. And someday down the road when China and Russia are no longer strategic allies, mm -hmm. but the long term and the adversaries we know they're going to be, uh, that's going to be an issue. But that's, this is Vladimir Putin's message uh, to the Chinese as well. We shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, you know, fail to yes. take advantage of that. Daniel Hoffman, thank you for joining us today. This it just gets scarier by the minute, and we will keep everyone updated. Thank you so much. 866-408-7669, your calls, and then we will be joined by Harry Kazianis from the Center for National Interest on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia, not Al-Qaeda. You said Russia in the 1980s or now. 
calling to ask for their foreign policy back because you know the Cold War has been over for 20 years. Uh, good times. Remember that? Barack Obama, 2012, telling Mitt Romney that the 1980s want their foreign policy back. And, and the media all laughed and chuckled. And what a what an old man Mitt Romney is. He's, you know, he's not hip and young and cool like Obama. Yeah, that didn't age well, did it? I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. 866-408-7669 is the number if you want to get in on this. Alex listening online in Mountain View, California. Alex, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I want to say that the current autocratic government of Russia exists and has existed for the last two decades because the majority of Russians support it and maintain it. Therefore, they're responsible for the actions of that government, just as the Japanese civilians in Hiroshima and Nagasaki were responsible for the actions of their government in 1945. That means that Western sanctions and Ukrainian military operations should in fact target Russian civilians. When enough uh, enough of them have suffered and died as a consequence of war, then they'll force Vladimir Putin to stop his aggressive behavior toward other countries. I I hear what you're saying, Alex. I don't necessarily agree with all of it because I don't think that they have fair and free elections in in Russia. Um, And so I don't know if those people, I don't know if those citizens of Russia actually really do elect their their leader. I don't know if they really do elect Putin uh, or did elect Putin. So so I don't know if that's fair. You know, uh, people could say the same here. And there are plenty of people who disagree with this administration or disagreed with the last administration, but we do tend to have a peaceful transition of power. We want to maintain a peaceful transition of power. So I don't think it's fair to hold the the populace responsible for what the ruling elite do. And in this country, as they have in Russia, we do have a ruling elite class, whether we want to admit it or not, but we do. And they live by a different set of rules than the rest of us. They uh, are allowed to do things we're not allowed to do. And I do think they're the ones who should be held responsible. Coming up, Harry Kazianis, Senior Director for the Center for National for the National Interest. He has an excellent piece talking about Biden ramping up U.S. energy production. That is the one way to make Putin pay. That's next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Our economy is roughly 15 times larger than Russia's economy. We're the most powerful economy in the history of the world. And to impose sanctions on financial institutions, to cut them out of the monetary system where the American dollar is used, is literally to cut them out of commerce around the world. And so I believe... We ought to be putting strong economic sanctions. We ought to be uh, arming uh, Ukraine in a very real sense. And and lastly, we ought to be moving resources through NATO to our NATO allies in the region. Because my concern, as Putin moves across the landscape in Ukraine with ambitions that I think go well beyond these so-called separatist areas, that it likely won't stop there. That was a former vice president, Mike Pence, on with Sean Hannity last night. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Joining us now is Harry Kazianis. He is the senior director for the Center for National Interest. Harry, thank you for joining us. Hey, great to be with you. 
Now, I told everyone you have a really uh, interesting article up called To Make Putin Pay, Biden Must Ramp Up U.S. Energy Production. And that's what we're hearing from a lot of people saying the way to get around this is to become energy independent once again. Why don't you reverse all the EOs that you signed, reversing everything Trump had done in order to give us a shot here at not having to bow down to Putin? But it doesn't seem as if anyone thinks that Joe Biden will actually do that. Do you think Joe Biden will do that? Well, he has to or he loses. He's definitely done in the midterms and done in 2024 if he does decide to run again. Look, the United States has the ability to pump easily 14 to 15 million barrels of oil per day. Right now, we are only producing something like 11. During the Trump years, we were pumping around 13 million barrels of oil per day. We have almost unlimited natural gas. We have something like, depending on the, 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 the expert that you talk to, somewhere between 50 to 100 years of natural gas. We could easily be sending much more to Europe. We wouldn't be able to replace everything that the Russians give them, but a huge chunk to make things a lot easier for them. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous that President Biden is, is so handcuffed by the progressive left that he's not not able to change course. He needs to do what Bill Clinton did back in the 1990s and realize that, you know, these far left agendas are, are really alienating the American people and change course and move to the center. That's, that's really the only thing you could do at this point. Well, you see this divide in the Democrat Party where you have the far left of the party. Nancy Pelosi kowtowed to them when they first came in. I remember AOC staging a sit-in in her office like the first day, uh, and she allowed her to get away with it. They never slapped them down. They never got them in line. And now you're seeing this takeover of the Democrat Party by the far left. Whoever is running the show for Joe Biden, which there's somebody behind him who has a, a big hand in what is happening policy-wise, either doesn't see the divide in the party or is welcoming the divide in the party. And they, as a previous guest said, you know, they worship at the altar of climate change and it is like a religion to them. So they would much rather have us spending, you know, $10 a gallon for gas because it would get us out of our gas cars and we're going to go into electric vehicles and electricity is made by magic and it's free. So they would, they would rather have that. And, and, and we even heard, who was it? Kamala Harris, the vice president saying, we're going to have to suffer. There's going to be some pain for Americans for a war that's happening in the Ukraine. So they're preparing us for this. They're accepting this. Yeah, it it doesn't make much sense. Look, I think like a lot of Americans, we're pragmatists. I mean, you know, most Americans aren't very political. They try to stay in the center. And I think if you look at this issue, I do believe there is some sort of man-made situation that is increasing the climate. I'm no science expert, but I I think that seems like a logical argument. The, the, The question here is what do we do about it and what can we do about it? And is this really the time... To, to be arguing over climate change when we have war in Europe, when we have gas prices that could hit 5 or $6 a gallon, when we could go back to oil, that's $147 a barrel, which is the record back in 2008. I think Americans realize that sometimes you have to put these kitchen table issues first and think a little bit more about the short and medium term and, and making sure that people have jobs, that we don't have 15% inflation. I mean, th- those are the things I think that matter to Americans right now, especially when we're just coming out of the, the COVID pandemic when millions of people lost their jobs, millions of people, you know, couldn't pay rent, couldn't pay mortgage. I mean, Americans are really just getting back on their feet here. And I don't think they want to get hit with another whammy like this. So I think Joe Biden needs to think about these things. He needs to make a pivot. And it's going to be very interesting to see what he says in his State of the Union address coming up. I think that for him is is a a marquee moment where he's got to make that pivot or otherwise he's done.
Well, he's giving a speech today sometime this afternoon, and I think he he has to make say something then. I think that ha- is more important and not waiting to the State of the Union. This has to happen now before you know, we see Putin in Poland or one of the NATO countries, and now it's American lives on the line. You're, no, you're absolutely right. I think what he has to say, I think it's very clear. One, he's kicking Russia out of the, the global financial system. He can't be afraid to kick Russia out of SWIFT to make sure that they can't do transactions in dollars. You know, Putin has to, to learn and understand that there are consequences for what he does. And we have to assure that Xi Jinping doesn't want to move on Taiwan or the South China Sea or in the East China Sea or other areas. And I think the other thing he needs to announce, just like we were talking about, is that the United States is going to start pumping oil like crazy. I mean, I, that is of course, a long-term challenge. It's not going to be easy to get all those oil rigs back online. You know, tens of thousands of oil workers have left those jobs and moved into other places across the country. But we, we've got to start getting back into, into those spheres. And then finally, look, we have to have a foreign policy that has the ability to focus on China as well as Russia. Those are the two biggest threats. I think it would be smart for the Biden administration to, to announce that and to make sure that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And that's going to mean there's going to be times where we're going to have to focus on one you know, authoritarian government versus the other for a little while. But we have to be able to do both. We can't have this choice where we're doing one or the other because mm-hmm. the other one will just take advantage. Now, you say that Putin wants to damage the Ukraine. He doesn't want to destroy and conquer it. Do you still feel that way this morning? I do, I, with, with, with all my heart, because think of it this way. Common sense tells us that Vladimir Putin's country is just a big gas station. Their demographics are terrible. Alcoholism is rampant. Their, their quality of life, their life expectancy, they're, they're in the toilet, to be honest with you. So Vladimir Putin cannot swallow Ukraine whole. He would basically die of geopolitical asphyxiation. You know, in the short, medium term, gas prices and oil prices will keep him fat and happy for a little while. But we all know the market comes back with a roar, and those prices will not stay high forever. So two, three years from now, yes, he he could have a huge chunk of Ukraine. But does he want to really sink billions of dollars fighting a counterinsurgency when the United States knows how to play that game in reverse? Look what Ronald Reagan did in Afghanistan when the Soviets went in. Yeah, they took most of the country, but we started giving the Mujahideen stinger missiles and all sorts of small arms and heavier arms. We bled the Soviet Union pretty badly. I don't think Vladimir Putin wants to make that mistake. I think he's going to go in. He's going to do a lot of damage, and he's going to make it so the West does not want to touch Ukraine when it comes to NATO or the EU. But if he conquers that country and and takes it by whole, I I predict it's the end of Vladimir Putin's regime. Not right now, but two to four years from now, very possible. So you don't think that as they head to Kiev, which apparently that is exactly where they're going, is going to Kiev, you don't think he, he... tries to get Zelensky and capture Zelensky and maybe kill him? If he did that, I think Russia ends up becoming a, 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 the roguest of rogue states, you know, starts to go up there with like Nazi Germany. And, and I think at that point, if, if Putin was that stupid, the entire international community would organize him in a way that hasn't been seen since the end of World War II. If that man is that stupid, then he, he would be essentially ending his rule. Like, again, not right away, but the amount of military pressure that we placed on him, the amount of forces that would be realigned to Europe to, to take him on. I mean, U.S. military budgets would go back up. Our country would go start going very close to a near war footing. If Putin makes that mistake, he will not be able to keep up that tempo. Again, Russia's a gas station. If those prices go down, he can't keep it up forever. And we have to keep that in mind. 
So, so much to unpack. And this has been happening and coming. This has been coming to a head for decades. And Putin chose now. We can argue over why he chose now, maybe because he sees weak leadership, whatever it happens to be. We're here and we can't go back and undo anything that got us here. So the only way we can do is instead of placing blame is is to move forward and to look forward. And I hope you're right. I really do, because uh, yours is one of the um, the most, I guess, conservative opinions that I've heard. And and I like that. (laughs) I I don't like to think that we are heading to full-blown war on the European continent again. That's not something I want to see in in my lifetime at all. Um, And I I honestly don't think anyone wants to see that in their lifetime on on the European continent. Harry Kazianis, thank you so much for joining us. The, The article is called To Make Putin Pay, Biden Must Ramp Up U.S. Energy Production. It is a great take. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 866-408-7669. Let's get some of your calls in here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Anyone who tries to interfere with us, or even more so, to create threats for our country and our people, must know that Russia's response will be immediate and will lead you to such consequences as you have never before experienced in your history. There you go. Vladimir Putin on Tuesday saying you've come to the Ukraine's aid. Uh, We're going to make you pay for it. I'd like to go to Cut 11, Eric. This is a Ukrainian MP, Alexei Goncharenko, on Fox News at night last night saying, uh, we need the help. Are we ready? We are ready to fight. We have we are received a lot of military equipment uh, last time. But this equipment, everything is about fighting on the land, but which is very important. I sorry for for repeating. But what is very important is the skies. So we need this assistance now because Russia is, you understand, it's much more powerful in uh, the skies. So we need just non-fly zone just to give us opportunity to fight on the land. That's what is very important for the moment. Yeah, but they're not a NATO country. So who's going to give them that no-fly zone? (laughs) Not our job. I don't want to see Americans die with with enforcing a no-fly zone over the Ukraine. I don't think it should be our job. Maybe people, maybe some of the European countries, it's closer to home for them. It's much more their problem. I mean, it's our, I mean, it's our problem too, but they are much more uh, at risk of some kind of imminent invasion from Russia than, than we are. Geography. 866-408-7669 is my number. Let's head to Georgia and say hello to Jeffrey. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi, Jeffrey. Hey, thank you so much. I couldn't have designed the segue into my comment by that uh, a little news media piece about the universities and wealthy students. You'll see what I mean in a moment. You know, I saw on a bumper sticker, uh, sticker the other day on a vehicle, critical thinking is the United States' second national deficit. <laughs> so uh, uh, you asked the question, why have we gotten to where we are today? Uh, you asked that general rhetorical question. You know, what has happened in this country, and it's for a long period of time, both uh, Republican and Democratic parties, 
is that now policy is driving intelligence rather than uh, in our own lives. We, it's good if we can think before we make uh, various actions and decisions in mm-hmm. our lives. Right now in the United States, we have policies, and they're driving uh, – uh, they're being dri- – our intelligence community is taking a back seat to our policymakers. And now I'm going to say why the university comment was important. Many, many, both of our policymakers, our journalists, and people who are driving the foreign policy of the United States have come from what I call the Poison Ivy League schools. And these schools are getting, just like your uh, little uh, news comment made there, wealthy students. They're being engineered and guided by uh, various conditioning thoughts of, uh, that have infected our foreign policy. And the results are uh, situations varying from the takeover of Tibet, the Vietnam War, Cuba, the, the horrible situation in the Middle East. Afghanistan, the situation in Europe where we've allowed yeah. NATO companies, countries to become involved with uh, Russian oil, on yes. and on and on. Yeah. And and you make a you make a good point about this woke ideology, Jeffrey. Thank you for that. Uh, The military is is gone woke. Right. We're having all our soldiers are being subjected to to all this critical race theory. And if you're white, you're a horrible person. Instead of instead of fighting as Americans, they're breaking them down into classes as they are doing with the rest of the country. It's easier to conquer if you're divided. Right. But if you're in a foxhole, you don't care the color of the skin of the man or woman next to you, right? Because you're, you're fighting for a common goal. But the woke left is trying to defeat that, and it has seeped in to our military, and it has seeped into their training. And it is a very bad, dangerous thing, in my humble opinion. I think it's bad and dangerous, period, but especially in our military. Let's go to New York and Bob listening on WABC. Hi, Bob. Yes, good afternoon. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You know, I don't see Vladimir Putin as a strong leader. I see him as a bully. Bullies are weak, okay? Donald Trump was a bully also. You, and I'm not going to – but I, I don't want to digress too much, okay? But this is, this is what, the way I see it. What's the difference? You know, <clears throat> if Joe Biden was so weak, you know, how come he took out – the leader of ISIS. That really didn't get, that's not getting a lot, that didn't get a lot of attention. You know, everyone pivoted away from that because it was a sign of strength. So my question here is hypothetical, I'm going to answer it. What's the difference between any of these madmen, Osama, the leader of ISIS, and Vladimir Putin? Well, Vladimir Putin has showed his true colors, and apparently there isn't. And you know what I would do? You want to know a sign of strength? I would send in the drones. I would triangulate that. He looks like the shark from Jaws, that animal. He is a war criminal. And you know what? If we took him out, nobody, everyone in Russia would thank us. Okay? Well, I I just don't think that that's something that Joe Biden's going to do, number one. And number two... I, I think it inserts the United States into a battle that right now is not ours. Right now, it is not our battle. Right now, this is this is Ukraine and Russia, and then the surrounding countries, and more so Europe. It's their battle. I don't know where the U.S. has the the right to, and the left loves to talk about morals. Are we morally right to go in and take out? 
you know, Vladimir Putin or start inserting ourselves into fly over Russian airspace and start killing people. I would think that the left would think that that's a terrible, horrible thing. It's morally repugnant. So and they're always talking about morals and what we're morally obligated to do. I don't know if that's such a good idea. Quickly, Jason in Galveston, Texas. We have about a minute. Jason, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hey, thank you. I'll be I'll be quick. Uh, I have a girlfriend who lives in Moscow. I've known since high school, and she's she's lived out there for a very long time. And she calls me, and she we've been talking, and she says, "Well, you know, uh, the world looks at United States as uh, as as the police. You know, law and order. They have a constitution. They have Bill of Rights, and they've watched the Democrat Party for the last six years break laws throughout the country, rip up." everything they know about Constitution and Bill of Rights and attack and get away with it. And 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 they think and she thinks in her her her, her group and their little town that they, they live in that, that was that was pretty much what kind of set them off is hey, why do I have to uh, right. follow the international law when the yeah, police are out Jason, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm so sorry, but we are up against the clock. I apologize for that. I think Americans look at the Democrat Party and say, hey, they're getting away with a lot. How come is this? I think that's a question a lot of Americans ask as well. I'm Mary Welch. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.